All right, everybody, welcome to Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Guys, we're coming at you with our final Bridgerton recap. This is episode seven, Oceans Apart, and episode eight, After the Rain, which is the finale. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we've come a long way. I think we we both started with the series, like, not with such high hopes. Uh-huh. Um, and I do think it ended super strong, and we really loved, or, well, I'll speak for myself. I really liked these first two episodes. We wanted it to be good. Yes. Initially, right? So that was what we, we going into it, we actually, we wanted it to be good. I mean, our rule is we always want everything to be good. That We never go into something wanting to hate it because that's just not fun. No, it's lame. And we're, yeah, we're at the age where it's, hate watching stuff is just not, there's so much more things we have to do. Yeah. I have numerous pills I have to take every day. I can't be watching <laughs> you things need to out monitor of hate. Various excretions from your body. Exactly. There's a lot of monitoring. There's a lot of weighing. You know, so I don't have time to hate watch you guys. But we watched the first couple episodes, and it wasn't grabbing us the way we wanted it to. So we were a little bummed. But yes, it definitely did get some momentum. There, it it went up and down a little bit, but the quality definitely got better. And these last two episodes were very fun. Yeah. And now, a few questionable decisions, which we'll get to, but otherwise, it left me wanting a second season. A hundred percent. I think they did a very... Well, why don't we do this? Because we kind of started this last time. Why don't we go alphabetically... Through the stories. Yeah. And we'll do both of the stories together. So, like, Anthony's entire arc between these two episodes and everything... Because I think splitting by episodes, because we just, we watch them both back to back. So it's hard to really parse yes. what was what. Mm-hmm. But let's start with Anthony. Okay. So Anthony and Sienna are together and then they break up. And I really think having, because, you know, rumblings in Romance Landia, the idea of Anthony having a girlfriend, people didn't love it. I do think it was super smart to do because where we leave Anthony emotionally this season is exactly where we need him to the start of next season. And it feels really authentic. It feels really true. Yes. And um, so I say loved him through these uh, these two episodes. There, was he really involved in anything? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. Well, what were you going to say? Well, oh, him... Uh, during episode seven, him and Simon. Getting a fist fight. Yeah. Which I thought was like, I was, I was gasping left and right during that fight. That was the, that was rough stuff. Well, the fact that Anthony could punch <laughs> Simon in the face and draw blood mm-hmm. and Will, his gigantic sparring partner couldn't do it. But you made a note that possibly they're not going full bore on each other's faces in order to not bruise or create blood. But they look like they were hitting them each other really hard. So it was one of those things. They're they're very like off and on in this series as to who bleeds when they are hit and who bruises when they are hit. So I get you don't want your lead walking around with a big bloody face the whole time because Simon was sparring consistently. But still, there's a little inconsistency with that, which is a little annoying for me. But otherwise, I did think, yes, yeah, Simon is where he needs to be. He's what? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Anthony. Anthony's where he needs to be, which is he wants to take a wife, but he does not think that love has anything to do with it. He wants to keep love out of it because it only creates problems. Which, famous last words. Exactly. And we love to see it. Yeah, we that, love someone declaring that love doesn't exist. At the beginning, and then being head over heels by the end. That's oh, what yeah. we want to see. It's the arc we love. That's romance. That is romance. I really loved the scene between Simon and Anthony in the club because I don't know that I always believed that they were as close of friends the whole time as they were trying, as they would say that they were until then. Because yes. I'm like, there is things that your closest friends can say to you. Like they know how to cut you with precision. And they don't until provoked. And then they both, that they both immediately just went for the jugular emotionally and then physically, I thought was really good. And it was kind of the slap upside the head that they both needed because they were both acting like assholes. Um, So 
Yeah. I thought Anthony did a great job of looking miserable through this whole thing. He did. He yeah. got... There was a scene where we see Will in a fight against the Beast. And him and... She, Sienna is there with someone else. And then we cut to a scene of them making love under the bleachers, mm-hmm. presumably. But... It looked like a dream sequence. It was shot very hazy. So I was thinking, is he just imagining this? But it turned out that he wasn't. They actually had got back together. And then we later, you know, they later break apart. But that those kind of inconsistencies with like how you shoot something, because it was similar to the dream sequence kind of shot that they did for when Daphne had her dream before she had had sex with Simon. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to make these things consistent or we will be confused. Or just no dream sequences. Well, Which I'm also like... Never have a dream never sequence. Never have a dream sequence. I hate dreams. Dream sequences are only second to the most annoying thing than people telling you their dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I had this dream last night. They're always so involved. It's such a long conversation. I never want to have it. And they never really remember them fully. So yeah. there's always that... And then I can't remember because it was like, and then you I were was, there. Yeah, you were, and it was like a supermarket, but not. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your dream. I know it's very interesting to you. Write it in your dream journal and keep it to yourself. Yeah. Okay. Next, Benedict loved Benedict. Turns out, I mean, I guess Benedict could be bisexual. He could be, but it seems like we were all wrong, and he is well, not gay then, at least. Um. But he is with uh, Genevieve Delacroix. I loved this as well. So here's what's interesting with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I was swayed by the buzz that I was getting vicariously through you about the fact that he might be turn out to be gay. And then the way it was being set up is that he befriends a gentleman who is gay and having a gay affair with somebody. And in these episodes, we find out that the the gentleman who's having the gay affair, his wife knows. She does her thing. He does her his. And he has a conversation with Benedict about, I have to hide who I am. I can't even smile at this guy because people are going to question it. Mm-hmm. And it's it takes courage to live a different lifestyle than the ton. Mm-hmm. And... That was making me think, oh, okay, well, so Benedict maybe is gay. But no, he's actually with uh, Genevieve, which is that a weird equating to be that he's equating having a clandestine homosexual relationship, which could mean grave, grave, grave issues for both of them if found out. And Benedict just wants to date a woman that's maybe not had his stature. And that's an, they're equalizing those things seemed a little weird to me. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, do what you want to do is a message, but saying, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing and then you're doing, you need to do the same sort of thing. It's not the same sort of thing. It's not equal. No, but I do think it could have been just sort of like, he's doing such a big thing for love that I can maybe do this small thing for love. Uh Uh-huh. Or happiness. My thing with it is just like if they are just completely changing Benedict's story, which I do think is like fine in general. I don't think it's one of the stronger ones. Uh huh. Because it's weird if he's already made this decision to date somebody outside of his social class. And then when he meets Sophie, he makes that decision again. It just is like it seems like, okay, well, now this is his story is him in Madame de la Croix, which I think is like fine. Yeah. Like I like it. Um. But I I do think Eloise and Benedict have the best chemistry of any two characters in the show. Yes. Like even ones that are married and having sex. Yeah, even the ones in relationships, dating, supposed to be hot and heavy, I would say it's Benedict and Eloise. And not that they want to be in a sexual relationship, but just like the energy between them is really I feel like whenever they're together, it's showing... I feel like the brotherly-sisterly love and they get a kick out of each other and they have fun together and they annoy each other. I feel like all of that is translated where it's like... There was a lot of talk about like Penelope and Eloise, Penelope's, like it's supposed to be this amazing friendship. Never felt it. Yeah. It never came through for me. Like I get that they're supposed to be close friends. I never... So, and I don't think that that has anything to do with like Claudia Jesse or Nicola Coughlin like not being solid actors. Like I, I think they both are like really, really talented and like 
in each of their roles, like pitch perfect. But I just didn't see the interpersonal things, uh, relationship between the two of them. And Marina being there throws, I don't want to say it wedge, but she's definitely a character that is hanging out with Penelope mm-hmm. and taking up some time where it could have been Penelope and Eloise if that's the relationship they wanted to cultivate the most. Right. Like I felt Penelope and Marina's relationship and it felt really earned and it felt complicated and complex and sort of like all those things that female relationships are. And yeah, it just never, it just wasn't there for me for the two of them. But so, yeah, but for Benedict and Eloise, I thought like whenever it was just the two of them on screen, I'm like, this is, I'm having a blast. Well, that's and and not to be, negative but we we did mention that the the family doesn't feel like a family the part of the reason why people love Bridgerton so much is because of the close family and how they interact with each other they're there for each other I don't feel it yet and I feel by eight episodes they there should be a strong family unit if that's what you're wanting it to be and that's part of the whole conceit of this show and the reason Mm -hmm. to make this show those people don't feel like they're related so we got an email from megan so she listened we put the episodes out fast she listened fast and she gave us our response fast um and, and what she said which i do think was a good point is like I get wanting to build out the world past the Bridgertons and like I've loved all the Featherington stuff. I've thought it's really strong and I've liked Simon's boxer friend and stuff. But like what you lose by adding in all those characters to already eight characters is we don't get those small moments in between siblings. So it just feels like a massive ensemble show and not a show about a family. True. I totally agree with Megan. Yeah. So... I think that I thought that was really smart when she said that I was like, yeah, that is how I feel because it's like, it should be like we start as small as possible. And then like, as the seasons go on, as episodes go, we grow out, but we have the foundation of the family. And I agree that too quickly were we out of the family that then it's hard to go back and be like, oh no, but they're really strong and, and they're a unit and they're powerful together. I never quite got it. And then at the end of the second episode or in the middle of the second episode, when Violet says to Daphne, like, you're a Bridgerton, you can do anything. I was like, that doesn't feel earned yeah, because we've just watched them fuck up for eight episodes. We haven't watched them like really persevere. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I'm like, I don't know, maybe Eloise is the yeah. one who's doing something really active. Everyone else is like kind of falling all over themselves. They've shown zero fortitude. Exactly. So, yeah. So I feel like that was kind of a miss. You know, but again, so so it is something that bothers me. But again, devil's advocate thinking about it more is that they wanted to create a diverse world and the Bridgertons are all Mm -hmm. white. And so if you only focused on them and weren't able to do these other stories, it would really cut down on the different kinds of people that you could show. So that's why I think it that was their thought is that let's show let's make this uh regency world that you haven't seen before at least not it's not the mainstream regency world that a lot of people know from romance and add all these different flavors and I think that might be the reason why they didn't focus on the Bridgertons. The other reason too being that I know it's Shonda and it's Shondaland and they put a lot of money behind this but if, if they don't get another season, like they're not guaranteed two seasons. They're not mm-hmm. guaranteed five seasons. So I think they had to do a lot of stuff this season that you normally wouldn't do if someone had said, you're getting five seasons no matter what. Right. Because I don't know, what is the contract for this? Is it? it oh, I have no idea. Yeah. So maybe they are getting, getting more than one season. But with Netflix, three seasons seems to be the max right now. So Right. Because have- only two or three series have ever gone beyond three seasons pretty much so and they were like early marquee ones and the crown the crown but, but the yeah. crown is not just netflix and it's like yes and that's and it's like anthology almost they're telling different stories each time so it's almost yeah. like a new series each time so that's the thing is that i understand that but yeah the that that core of what we love about bridgerton is like maybe not there as much as we'd like mm-hmm yeah, you have to throw everything in there. Colin. Colin is dealing with the fallout of Marina being, finding out she's pregnant. 
Um, or or the ton finding out the ton finding she's pregnant. He finds out at the same time. Um, so they Daphne arranges uh, the two of them to meet and talk. And um, I think what it did highlight was Colin's immaturity. Yes, because he was sort of like. Oh, if you had told me you were pregnant, I would have just married you. That's how much I loved you, but you deceit you deceived me, and so then I can't go forward. And it's like, well, if you really did love someone, you would sort of be like, I understand why you made this choice. And but he said how much I believed I loved you. Yeah, he does put a qualifier. I don't know if it's necessarily believe, but he definitely mm-hmm. qualifies. That's how much I thought I did or believed I did. So I think there's a part of him that knows that. It, it was like a little bit silly to do. It was silly. Yeah. Um, that's. Does Colin do anything really in the fu- finale that's particularly... He says he's going to leave. He tells Penelope oh. he's going to leave <gasps> mm-hmm. and travel because she, she said what she said to him to try and get him away from Marina worked to, to get him away, but Penelope actually just wanted him to stay. And he yeah. said, do you want to dance? She's like, no, I'm fine. Well, I want to tell you something. And she's thinking, oh, I want to tell you something, too. He goes, well, I'm going to be leaving travel because you really are the one who inspired it. And she said, <laughs> he said, what do you want to tell me? And she's like, oh, nothing. I'm fine. I'm just going to go. Like, I don't remember. I got yeah, the yeah. stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I danced all night, so I'm fine. No dance. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. all danced I was out. in the back. You didn't see me. <laughs> Penelope. Oh, that was such a heartbreaking scene. Poor Penelope. Yeah, I really thought that she was going to say it. I was like, all right, well, they're just like really varying from the books. But no, they're staying with her where he's going to probably be gone for a few years or at least a good length of time to become worldly. Mm-hmm. Because Colin, but I, I now I don't remember if, the, if Colin is there for the Duke and uh, sorry, for the Viscount who loved me or an offer from a gentleman. From what I remember, and it's been a while, he was gone for like four years. Yeah, but I think the timeline with the books is different because, like, within the books, it's like a few books happen basically over top each other. Yeah, at the same time, and then there are books where it's like, oh, it's been seven years between books, so it's like the time is like weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think jumping off of Colin, then we also have the conclusion of Marina's story, which is she first. She makes a tea of just things she finds around the kitchen. That she thinks will kill a child. <laughs> so it doesn't work, shockingly. I don't think anyone was fooled that this works. This was a last ditch effort by her to mm-hmm. try and do. Because I also think she didn't know what any of that stuff did. She thought it would just be a combination enough to do to, it. To do it. She was well, at desperate ends. I do also think it shows her disconnecting from the child or children if it's going to be following the books and you know that sort of setting something up too of her just like deciding that she's not pregnant anymore and just telling people she's not pregnant anymore when like there's no reason to believe that that's true yes so then she gets a visitor um so she has had so Daphne who has witnessed like Colin and her exchange sort of realizes that uh, you know, feels for Marina and the desperate situation she was in and therefore reaches out to someone on her behalf. Anyway, so George's younger brother, Philip, ha- comes to visit to tell her that George has died and that um, he was writing her to say that they were going to run away together. And then Philip offers to marry her to take care of the child and sort of make everything right though and sort of step into his brother's place. Um, and Marina at first says no, but then when she realizes she's still pregnant agrees. Mm-hmm. Cause she has no other real option, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And Philip seems like a nice guy. So we, we are, know he's a nice guy. Yes. So we are now firmly in the Marina is not a villain camp. Mm-mm. She's a person who did what she needed to do. She's desperate. She's desperate. And back then, and sometimes still now, unfortunately, people have to do things that aren't great in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's her story. And hopefully, you we don't want to give anything away, obviously, but we're hoping that her story is we possibly could get a happily ever after for her, but I don't know if it's likely. Yeah. 
unfortunately. Yeah, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, it's a bummer. But yeah, I thought adding Marina in this season was was really a spark of genius. And I've liked her story the whole way through. And I thought she was interesting and compelling the whole way through. Um, so. And she ends up leaving with him at the end. Yeah. So that's, that's what's going to happen there. We don't know if she's going to be back next season. We assume we're going to see him again. Yes. So Clayton and I spoke this morning and Clayton has decided he does not want to spoil anything. Well, I don't, yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil future seasons or future Uh books that's the thing is like we can spoil the hell out of these like what we've watched so far in the episodes yeah we can't talk further i don't think we should right because the people who are listening to this are are a lot of them are our fans thank you hello we love you (laughs) a lot of people are new who are listening just because we're a podcast talking about this show so i would rather they get the fun of reading the books without being spoiled okay Although they are going to be very spoiled by something that happened in this this end of this season that I did not really think they would do. No, me neither. So we'll talk about that in a second because okay. I feel like that's such a big thing. That's huge. Um, okay, so I I don't know. I think we've tipped that like that um, Philip Crane might come back. Yes, Philip Crane might come back, and Marina Thompson exists in the books in a different way. Yes. Um. So that's it. Okay, so Colin, then Daphne and Simon. This was really, I feel like we had two such strong episodes with them. And then this was them sort of just like being apart. And like tonally, I felt like it was so weird. So what happens in the books basically is after Daphne assaults Simon, he leaves. And basically they don't see each other again until he like comes upon her in the park where she's doing like a morning ride and falls off her horse. And like, is he thinks she's maybe gone. He realizes in that moment, he loves her. He's missed her. He's, he's been an idiot. And then that's sort of when they reconcile in the, this is different. He decides to stay with her no matter what they do. Like, make out on the stairs and like there's still well he starts going down on her on the stairs and gives her a blue clam because he (laughs) gets stops he gets stops (laughs) stops and he's like i can't do this and he's like we will just be a couple in name only and all this then she reads the letters uh that he sent his father when he was sent away that his father never responded to and she understands now that he had to stutter he had all these things and she asks, why don't you want to have a kid? Just tell me, he says, because my, because of my father. Because I wanted my father's line to end. All he cared about was the line continuing. He didn't care about his wife, my mom. He didn't care about me. And she says, you could live with anger at your father or you could live in love with me. you right. got to make a decision. And we know the decision he makes because it's a, it's a romance. He makes the decision to be with her. Mm -hmm. She was maybe pregnant, but she ended up having her period with a lot of blood. With just a truly astonishing amount of blood. So she has this astonishing amount of blood (laughs) in this period, and she gets sad because she thinks, okay, well, I'm not pregnant now, so what's going to happen? And we do get to the end where we see... That she does eventually get pregnant and she has a baby and he holds it and name and once they're talking about what they're going to name it and he says we should start with the A's. Which I loved that. That was perfect. That was adorable and that made me squeal and I loved that moment. That was such a great cap on that character because not only is he happy to have a baby, he wants to have more. Yes. Perfect. Love it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. But then they dance in the rain. That whole thing was so She has an orgasm because she gets rained on. Because things aren't perfect. It just felt like they were like, we need to wrap it up. Uh Uh, Let's give her a speech. And then that was kind of, you know. The weakness of this season is that the main character was Daphne. I think so. And, and And this is not to sound cruel, but I'm more excited and for the second season because Daphne will not be the main character. Mm-hmm. Because Anthony could be the main character, who I don't think has been 
great, but I do think that he, he has more of a spark. And then if Eloise and Penelope, the things they're setting up, I'm excited for this second season because I don't think she's going to be the main thrust of the narrative, which she yeah. couldn't hold. No. And I've been thinking more and more about it. I think also just the characterization of Daphne in the books is so different than the way that she is in the series. And that like in the books, Daphne is very much like a guy's girl. Like her big issue with the ton is that like none of the people who are her suitors really see her as a sexual being because she is so much one of the guys. And she's very physical and she rides and, her, and she does all these like, like whatever, traditionally masculine things. Shoots and all that. Yeah. And so you, you just see her as somebody who uses her body in a very specific way and embodies it in a, in a specific way. And I think with this show, they were very obsessed and concerned and constantly said the phrase like a diamond of the first water in a way where I'm like that. If that does appear in the book, maybe it does or it doesn't. But it is really bizarre to basically just be like, oh, Daphne, she's basically like a bird. She's the most beautiful girl. And that's why we should follow her. It felt very it, it's just a different person. And it's just not as a compelling of a person. And it also doesn't fit in with like the ethos of Bridgerton, where I feel like the other characters feel very physical and take up a physical space and embody, and especially like Eloise, she's always walking around about to knock something <laughs> yes. over. Like you need to stay out of her flight path. And, and not that Daphne was ever to that extreme, like Eloise is herself, but I feel like you really lost something by casting somebody who is very delicate and very small and who I don't really see riding a horse or shooting a gun. Not that you can't, not that, your physical body decides what things you can do, but also they just never had her do it. They had Daphne's big thing be her like playing the, the piano for, which is like fine. Music is great, but it's just not as compelling of a person to watch. I mean, I really, the way that it ultimately ended up wrapped up, I wasn't sure if they were going to do a time jump for the baby. And I'm so happy that they did. I thought that was, I really loved that It moment. needed that. We mm-hmm. needed that. We needed to see him with a baby in his hands. Yeah. And. It being so happy. He was so happy. Yeah, because we do also see them have sex and him come inside her. Yes, that was huge. Yes, mm-hmm. you're right. That was huge. I mean, that was, I thought they were just going to end it there. And I was like, okay, this seems like enough. I do love that this whole eight episode series culminated with a man coming inside someone and that being so cathartic. Because we, we, well, we, 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 we applauded. We applauded. We applauded. We were happy. We were excited about it. We wanted to see it. You love to see it. So that was great. You love to see a man coming inside his wife. Exactly. <laughs> More shows should end that should have been when they do a Grey's Anatomy the last episode of Grey's Anatomy should be whoever she's married to coming inside her and then being like everything's gonna be all right now everything's gonna be all right Um, it it doesn't work for every show (laughs) although it did work for Cheers (laughs) yeah when Sam Malone came inside yeah (laughs) Uh, well well I mean it it wasn't but it should have been Shelley Long Oh, right, of course. Diane, yeah. if if he would have come inside Diane, and that would have been the last episode. I mean, that would have been iconic. That would have been... <laughs> Also, it would have been groundbreaking. <laughs> it would have been groundbreaking for the 80s. It would have been iconic. It would have been up there with, um, oh, what's the show where they wake up and then they're in another show? Oh, New Heart. It would have been a New Heart type ending. But see, he was coming in her when he did. When yeah. He woke up, but he, yeah. There's he... a nocturnal emission. <laughs> yeah. He did. He did come. So it did end with coming. Yeah. Um, Eloise, yes. our star, our, our true queen. Has really come into her own in these last two episodes in her facial expressions, oh my her God. mannerisms. She is just a rare bird. I am, a, like, all of the decisions that the actress who plays her, Claudia Jesse, is making are spot on and bizarre. Yes. Like, she does this thing where, like, anytime she gets upset, she rolls her eyes and then crosses them. <laughs> and it's so broad. It's so big, but it is so funny and it is so spot on. Like, she is, 
like a star. I cannot like give me an Eloise centric season now. Like I am ready and I will be there for every episode. When she's dressed up and has to be in one of those functions Mm -hmm. and act like a lady, she looks like she is jumping out of her skin. Mm -hmm. She's so nervous. She's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then when she's allowed to be the sleuth who is trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is. She is herself. and But it's done in a way, like you said, she does make these broad expressions, but it's so personal to her. It feels personal. It doesn't feel like she's this wacky character. It is wacky, but she's like down-to-earth wacky. It's very hard to explain, but... Yeah, exactly. Where she's like, like treading a fine line between being so broad that it's just like absurd. But but Eloise feels like almost the most real character in the entire show. Exactly. Where I'm like, Eloise feels like there was actually a girl in 1813 running around acting exactly like that. Having her giving her a problem to solve with Lady Whistledown, loved it. So she thinks Lady Whistledown is Madame Delacroix, who's Benedict's girlfriend, basically. The scene where she shows up at the modiste and is like trying to like double talk the modiste and and Madame Delacroix is kind of like, I don't get what. OK, like I'll like I'll go where you're leading me. This doesn't make sense as a conversation, but fine. Then she walks out and she's so proud of herself. I was like, this is hilarious. I love it. Obviously, we know who Lady Whistledown is because we've read the books. Um, and now if you've watched these episodes, you know, too. But yeah. we'll get to that. Well, we well we have to say that she does. She is at the big party for Daphne and the Hastings Simon Ball, and realizes it's not who she thought it was. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not true. Sorry, and she, she thinks it's confirmed. She she is secure that it is Madame Delacroix, and now she really likes her. Mm-hmm. So she's like, okay, well, I want to find out what the queen wants with her because apparently this queen truly has nothing better to do is a useless plot device yeah. that just any old person can go up and start talking to her. Yes. Although at this point, for some reason, is the only point in the entire series where Eloise can't just walk up and talk to her. But her like servant basically says, like, oh, we're setting a trap for her tonight. We're, tr- we're setting a trap for Lady Whistledown. Because yeah. Because when there is something going on, when there's a big party, that's when she goes to press because everybody's preoccupied. Which we were talking about, well, then... How is she getting all this gossip if she has to leave early from these events? And also, when does she have time to write it? Exactly. Because it's always about the event that was happening at the time. So it's like she like writes in the carriage on the way there. Like that didn't make sense for me timing wise and just common sense wise, but fine. So Eloise goes to try to find Lady Whistledown, who she thinks is Madame Delacroix, to stop it. She does. She foils the Bow Street Runner to who's coming to get her. Um, And she just is very proud of herself, but then realizes later on when Benedict tells her that he was with Delacroix all night that it could not be her. So she is thinking, who could it be? Mm Mm-hmm. And then... The end of the episode, we're doing all tying up of all the loose ends, and we start here Lady Whistledown, Julie Andrews, talking, saying... No one will find out who I am until I want them to find out who I am. And then we pan up and someone takes their cloak off and it's Penelope. Which we have had to cut out of these previous episodes (laughs) because we were, I think, smartly, we didn't want to ruin it because we didn't know. We didn't know if it was actually going to be the same person as Mm -hmm. it was in the books. And it's not revealed in the books until the fourth book. Mm -hmm. And this is the eighth episode of the first season. Mm -hmm. So... Again, I do think they're just trying to swing. They also, I think, did this purposely because Penelope, if you don't know, if you didn't know she was Whistledown, is a not odd character, but an incomplete character because a lot of her reactions are like they need to have the context of her being Whistledown. So I think people, I think the writers were like, this is. Great, because now people will go back and watch it and watch Penelope and see the things she's doing that we've seen the whole time and couldn't really talk about on this podcast because I think we decided after the fact to not ruin this because we weren't sure what was going to happen. But now watching it in context, it, it like fills out her story more than it would have been if you just didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I also would have been fine with it just like keeping it a mystery because I do think Penelope being friends, being someone who's in love with Colin, like there is a reason for her to be around that feels very authentic. And so I I was disappointed that they admitted that that they said it was her. I mean, I guess it is the thing. You don't know if you're getting a second season, so you got to throw everything into the first season. But I really think it's it was a miss because then also it's like, so Julie Andrews isn't going to be in the next season because now we, we know, know it's Penelope. So is it just going to be like Penelope's VO? That's the question. I think yeah. they still use that VO because that's what people hear when they read it. We're hearing what people hear. I guess so. But now since we are the audience who knows who it is, we should hear her. Unless we're playing the game of Lady Whistledown is a creation and that's the voice of the creation i guess so it just feels like i don't i disagree i don't think it was necessary and it just seemed like yeah we're only getting one season so let's just we might as well just reveal who it is but also i think not revealing who it is because we had the queen because we have lady danbury it's like there was three characters fulfilling the same role that I never felt like we really needed to know who Whistledown was. She did not seem as important as people wanted her to be other than when she revealed the information about Marina. Other than that, I felt more threats from the queen or from Danbury or from somebody else. So it is weird that 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 they felt that was information that was necessary. Well, now Penelope is in, in danger from the queen because before in the books, it was just, oh, the ton's going to hate me. Yeah. Now it's... We don't know. Does the queen chop her head off? Mm-hmm. Like you said, does she get drawn and quartered? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen. But there's that <laughs> threat now of the queen being angered by this person. Mm-hmm. So that adds stakes. Yeah. Now, is it? Do I like that? No. No. But it, but it definitely adds stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's helpful to having the Marina storyline that. Lady Whistledown revealed Marina being pregnant. Now, I think when Colin finds out, then he has such a bigger reason to be so angry because I feel like in the books, it was that he was an author and he was basically mad that she was a better writer than he was. Or not a better writer, more successful than more he successful was. More successful and a better writer. Which I do think is... Oh yeah, no, uh, he, 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 she is a better writer than him. Yeah, she's a very good writer. But I think it's like, uh, that's hard to necessarily... I think that's like more difficult to play if we can only like see and hear things. We don't know their internal thoughts. So I do think having like that more external conflict is better. So then real quick, let's talk about the Featherington situation yes. because uh, Sir... Featherington makes a big bet on Will, who is Simon's best friend. friend. Yeah. And well, not Simon's best friend, because I guess I guess Anthony's supposed to be his best friend. But well, uh, yeah, but I think we've added in a character and now it's his best friend. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about the scene where or did we? Was it one of these two seasons where um, uh, where Simon goes to visit Will and his wife and he sees sort of like how in love they are and the kids and everything and it's sort of a moment of him kind of being like, maybe this is what I want. No, we we talked about that happened in a previous. Oh, okay. That happened in the previous episodes. That mm-hmm. was one of the early things. What happens here, and we'll get into it because it's going to be connected. Because we'll talk about Will after we talk about Mister Fe- Sir Featherington. Is it he is a Sir Lord Featherington? Lord Featherington. Lord Featherington. Mister Sir Lord. Mister Sir Lord. <laughs> <laughs> These thy gifts. Lord Featherington needs money. He decides, I'm going to go to Will and say, you're going to fight the beast. And this guy is a beast. What if you throw it? I bet on this other guy and we split the cash. And of course, Lord Featherington is a dolt and an imbecile. So it makes it very, very obvious what he's doing. Two ne'er-do-wells figure this out, that he, that, that he somehow knew what was going to happen in this match. And he gets all this money, but it ends up that... They come take the money and kill him. Now, we don't see this happening, but we find out when they get back, when the Featherington family gets back from the big the big shindig, that he has been, he's dead. We're assuming he's been murdered. Will took a fall, and Simon knows this, mm-hmm. confronts him, and Will says, 
I'll do anything for my family, even put aside my pride. And that's great because that, I think, pushes Simon to make the right decision and be with Daphne, even though pridefully he wants to keep his father, his dead father, his very dead father, <laughs> from having a, a, a the, the bloodline continued. So Will plays an integral part in making Simon understand what love is and what taking care of your family is. So then we see Will and his lovely wife at the shindig, and she's got this nice new uh, necklace and Simon looks over and he says he, he doesn't say but he thinks okay yeah I, I understand what this means now I understand that I'm a fool and I'm prideful and I need to be less prideful so Will has been a uh, a fun addition because he's also in a happy marriage with lovely kids and has the only issues he has is trying to make ends meet and all these things so I love him as an addition I hope we see him next yeah and I hope that there's not any retribution for him throwing the fight, although I feel like there might be. Because if they killed Featherington, there might smell a rat with him. But also, it seems like they killed Featherington for the money. Uh-huh. Like, they knew he had this amount of money, and they knew he was dumb. As so opposed like, to, yeah, that's, oh, you're right. It, as, as opposed as, to being like, we're mad that you threw this fight, because... I mean, maybe I wasn't paying attention. It didn't seem like those two were connected to the, the fighter boxer. at all. Because it also feels weird because, like, why would they, like, why would you approach the opponent's manager about yeah. betting? Because, like, I guess they wouldn't, I, I don't know. I don't feel like they were connected. I feel like these were like, oh, this guy's stupid. And he, now we know he has a ton of money right now. So, like, let's just steal it from him and kill him, yeah. poison him. Um, and then Lady Featherington goes, she finds out her husband's dead. She immediately goes into his office and looks for that money, and it is gone, and she cries. Yeah. She's amazing. Whoever that actress is is also really fantastic. She's done a good job. I mean, she has it, – it's hard. It's a hard character because she borders on being, uh, like, untenable to deal with. But we find out because she and um, Marina have a conversation. Marina asks her, what is it like being married to someone you don't love? And she says, well, you find things that you – like or love like I love my kids and you just deal with it and I think that pushes Marina to then marry George's brother because she thinks well I could stand this maybe yeah we don't know if that's a good decision right now or not right and uh but yeah I think she does a good job of of not going over the top like Corella Deville, like yeah, level. Whoever has seen the Brandy Cinderella, which is obviously the most superior Cinderella that's ever been made, Bernadette Peters in that plays like almost a a, a Portia Fe- Featherington type, but to the extreme on the other end, like so camp. Like I feel like this Portia does a good job of being campy, knowing what she's in, knowing the show she's in, and making it fun, but not too far and she also plays it seriously like I think her in that scene where she finds out her husband's dead she's like in her crying you can tell she's crying mostly because of the money and not because of the husband and it's like that I don't know that's hard acting seems very difficult to me acting is difficult giant mystery to me how these people do it I find it bizarre um but obviously they're very talented so is there anything we missed other than there's one last thing that we do have to talk about Okay. Let's talk about the bee. This is odd, guys, because we don't know. I mean, I don't know that this is a spoiler because I do feel like this is something that's said really early in the book, The Duke and I, but Edmund Bridgerton, the father of the family, has died because he was stung by a bee at one stage in his life. He had this anaphylactic reaction. So then the second time he was stung by a bee, he died almost immediately. Eloise finds him. It's awful. Now tell me why, if your father was murdered by something, would you then wear hair clips with that thing? Like if your father was killed by a rabid raccoon, would you then be like, I guess my motif is raccoons? Yeah. And then just have like hair clips of raccoons. Benedict wears like a blazer with a bee on it. And then multiple times towards the end of the show, we see a CGI bee just kind of hanging out. Now... Here's something else that happened. We watched Soul last night. Oh, we did. A great movie. A great movie. Everybody check it out. Could it have been 
that what happened was the B, a B in Edmund switched souls. <laughs> it could be. And so Edmund had to die because bees can't support a whole human. A bee soul is too weak. It immediately falls apart. And now Edmund's soul is in a bee. Well, it could be that, but he could have been reincarnated as a bee as okay. well. That's a possibility. I love your idea more. Okay. But the way the bee is hanging out, because at the end of the show, when we see Simon and Daphne's baby being born, there's a bee inside, and it kind of is very interested in what's happening and then flies away off screen. And that's when Aaron said, is that bee the dad? And I we started laughing hysterically, but I think it's supposed to be. I do think that that is their father looking over them in the form of the creature that murdered him. <laughs> and also, in I feel like we keep saying in the books, in the books, like whatever, this is different. You get to interpret shit however you want to interpret it. But like in The Viscount Who Loves Me, in Anthony's book, like Anthony is pet- like almost Petrified pathologically of afraid bees. of bees. So then if you do start like wearing bee motifs, Aren't you taunting your brother who's terrified of bees? Yes. Yeah, because there and yeah, there's several times in the books where people mention bees and then it's it's oh, you can't Sorry. Anthony. Yeah, sorry, like sorry. And yeah, it's just bizarre. I don't understand what they're doing. I mean, it, then the thing is though, it has to be that, right? He has to have been killed by bees because otherwise why do you even have bees? in there at all right because then it's just yeah it's just like we have bees just because we like bees but Edmonton just had a heart attack or something or Edmund just had a heart attack yeah it's so odd I don't like I, I it seems like they're trying to be like winky at us but it is disturbing yeah it's upsetting it is <laughs> so we we got to figure that out anybody who knows anything about this please email us we gotta know. know what's up with the bees with this yeah yeah. So let's let's say, what did we think of this series as a whole? Did we like it? I liked it. Did I love it? I didn't love it. I feel like the thing that was hard about this series probably is that we have been anticipating it for basically two years. We've read these books. We love these books. This is the first big scale romance adaptation but like pure Avon romance having this amount of money put behind it and everything it it was the first one and I think the first one out of the gate you have to there's a lot of work you have to do that I think adaptations that follow might not have to do as much so I think it's like those first three episodes were tough to get through they were a bit of a slog I do think it gets more fun as you get going um, ultimately I had a lot of fun watching these. I'm excited for season two. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I hope that they get a season two for sure. And it feels um, likely, but who knows? I would be I, like, I, I, I have no idea. I've heard nothing either way, but it's like, I would be surprised if there's no season two. Um, but I ultimately really liked it. I thought they made a lot of really great changes that were super, super interesting, super fun. I thought they really were able to highlight certain aspects of it that I thought were great. And some things were misses, which is going to happen. It's like anything. Yeah. So I I think we enjoyed the experience. Mm-hmm. We enjoyed watching it. It's weird to say goodbye to this family for now. Yeah. Because it's been a big part of our lives specifically for the last few months. Few months. So, yeah. And like you said, this is what happens when things get adapted. The same thing happened with superheroes. These things find their footing. You either become a fan of, I mean, I'm not a superhero movie fan at all but I wouldn't say that's because I don't think they've done a good job of adapting it I just don't like that whole I'm just not a superhero guy I was when I was a child I no longer am but I do think that romance is going to have the those growing pains when it comes to being adapted and I think the more these things can get adapted the more it'll draw people to the source material which is ultimately I think what we want which Mm -hmm. is more people reading romance and if Bridgerton, this show, can draw more people to the Julia Quinn books, then that is a success. Yeah. And I think... And I think it will. I think Mm -hmm. it will, right? Because Mm -hmm. if people are listening to this and they haven't read any of the books, 
they might be interested to think, oh, okay, the books sound like they might be interesting and more in-depth. I'm going to try that. Yeah. So that, that's ultimately good. Right. I do think that this is, like, obviously super positive for the genre. Having this show, having the people who made it make it, it it really does show, um, I mean, it shows that there's a market for romance. There's a market for these adaptations. Um, it is. It was beautifully done, and the costumes were beautiful, and... You know, it was just exciting to see, I think, all of these scenes play out. And I think, yeah, if this brings more people to romance, either reading or other adaptations, like, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. So how do we stop it? Okay. Oh, there's a bee tapping at our window. I guess it's time to go. (laughs) Hey there. (laughs) Hey there, little bee. Oh, fucking stung me. (laughs) Oh, no, you're dead. My tongue is really big now. What you happening? <laughs> oh no! Don't say that. <laughs> I watched that with my parents. Uh, that was the one, one of two times I saw my father cry at oh. a, a like a piece of media was was um, my, my girl. girl. Yeah. With Macaulay Culkin. Now we're spoiling that movie. <laughs> yeah, from 30 years ago, so I'm sorry. <laughs> In the show notes, up to me. We also spoil my girl. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that and then the end of Deer Hunter. I know I never saw Deer Hunter. Well, if is, you it, saw... is it also bee related? No, not at all. It has to do with the Vietnam War. <laughs> not bees. Yeah, not bees. No, uh, the people they're crying over were not killed by bees in that movie. <laughs> but... um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It does feel so weird. Like, how do we end this? How do we say goodbye to the Bridgerton? Well, we might not be saying goodbye completely, but also. People can email us, right, Aaron? Exactly. Where can they where can they find so you us? everybody if you email us your thoughts at learning the tropes podcast at gmail.com. We are at uh, on Twitter at learning the tropes, uh, on Instagram at learning tropes. Uh, you can always uh, join us on the Facebook group. We're talking about Bridgerton's obviously on the Learning the Tropes troop. Um, and like we said, we are taking a break for the month of January. <laughs> These four episodes. I mean, we feel such BS after we said we're taking a break and then we gave you a book and four more episodes. But guys, like we're taking it seriously. So we are taking a bit of a break. That obviously does not mean that we are going silent. We can't help but talk to you guys constantly. Um, so we do have a few things planned that I think are super fun, really exciting. Um, so definitely stay subscribed. Yeah, and there'll be your, stuff coming up. Keep your eye on the feed. It might not be the normal release schedule. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these were not released on the normal day, which we drop stuff which is Wednesday Mm -hmm. but it's going to keep people guessing you never know when something's just going to drop into the feed yeah as we have things we're going to just hand them out to you Um, and then we will probably be back February with books that's the plan yeah Um, so yeah so keep an eye on this and um, all right well we'll see you next time guys yeah and if we don't talk to you beforehand happy new year oh we won't talk to you before the new year happy new year I mean I'm not sure who knows we might have to come back with an emergency (laughs) if something happens but yeah all right happy new year everybody happy new year bye